Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Owen. Apologies for the podcast being extremely late this week. We recorded this on the 25th of September. So I can only apologize for being so late. But we had a good laugh chatting about Kingsman. I hope you enjoy. Anyway, sorry that the recommendations at the end of the podcast will be somewhat out of date. Cheers. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. Brian Plank. Good evening. And Tony Flack. How do? As we take a look at the last week or so in film, including a couple of new releases to review in Kingsman, The Golden Circle and Borg vs. McEnroe. Uh, we'll start off with the quiz in a short opening section with no news. Uh, I lost the quiz last week, but Owen only gave me the film I had to watch at quite short notice, which was Neon Demon. I haven't watched it yet. I will watch it for next week. Uh, Owen, you're hosting the quiz. It's me versus Tony and Brian. I am, yeah. I'm just going to clarify as well, Neon Demon. I don't dislike that film. I don't think it's a bad film, but I've made you watch it because of your reaction to Mother, which you didn't like because it was too weird and pretentious. So, it was it was weird for the sake of weird. Right. Have fun with Neon Demon. And um, pretentious for the sake of pretentious. <laughs> bit like Holy Motors. Yeah. Oh, well, see, Holy Motors is on film four this week. I was tempted to just set that as your task to rewatch it, but I thought you could cheat and just pretend you've rewatched it. Just remembered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, quiz this week. Uh, you need to... Sp- it's, I don't know. I think this might be a bit of a tricky one. Hello. Yes, me again. Um, it was quite a tricky one to do because I chose anagrams, which didn't really work out particularly well. Um, they'll be in the podcast description if you wanted to play along needless to say steve lost brian absolutely smashed it um yeah and now let's just get on with the rest of the podcast great quiz (laughs) really good quiz Mm. more anagrams next week (laughs) oh get out your big old word jumble and have a practice anagrams time for what we've been watching when we have a look at some of the films we've seen uh, this week outside the cinema or perhaps even tv shows uh, for this week um Tony, why don't you start us off as of like the last 40 minutes um, from recording i've just finished watching the first two episodes of star trek discovery which is the brand new um anagrammed a moment ago uh mm-hmm. star trek series which uh has just dropped on netflix it's on the curious CBS All Access in America, and it's a big old con because they're basically making Americans pay for an entirely new streaming service just to watch Star Trek. 
So uh, we, there's a lot of Star Trek geeks out there, isn't there? Oh yeah, but you know, would you would you pay like seven pound a month extra for on top of Netflix and just for one TV show? Mm, I, don't I don't know. know. Um, but yeah, there you go. people who watch, people who watch Star Wars are cool. People who watch Star Trek are not. <laughs> if you watch both, I don't know where we stand. You're allowed to like more than one thing. You're not. <laughs> not if they're kind of the same. What about people who like Battlestar Galactica? Where do they sit? Um, eh, some... You like to like more than two things. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in the, somewhere in the middle of the spectrum, a, a battle spectrum, a battle gar, Battlestar Galactica. What was that? That, 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 that was that. Is that you doing your pod as an anagram of itself? Because <laughs> it's not going to take off. I speak in anagrams now. <laughs> that was a I good speak, anagram, actually. Yeah, yeah, I speak purely in anagram. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, there's no anagrams on uh, on Discovery, which is the. Uh, it's been a long time coming. This it's it's obviously the first Star Trek series in twelve years, um, and they've, we've had movies. Obviously, you know the very divisive J.J. Abrams movies, but all the Star Trek fandom is just going nuts. Was Enterprise twelve years ago? Yeah, well, it finished twelve years ago. It finished in two thousand five. Yeah, so it's it's been ages, and I think everyone thought it was never going to happen again, and that was it. Was that the, the one? Was that the one with the guy from Quantum Leap? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was yeah. Scott Bakula. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was good to be fair, and it was. It wasn't a terrible show, but it kind of just it came out at the wrong time. By then, people just didn't care. By then, it was it was losing its way, so it needed a new approach, really. And off the back of the first two episodes. I think they've I think they've nailed it actually, and because there's been there's been a lot of really sort of there's been a lot of, of, of production stuff like Brian Fuller who did Hannibal and a lot of these other things. He originally came up with the, the new show, and it was supposed to be an anthology series in different time periods of the Star Trek universe, and then that all changed, and then he quit to do American Gods, which isn't a bad thing because American Gods is brilliant, mental but brilliant. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's gone through a lot of trouble. So everyone was a bit like, oh God, is this going to be just a bit of a car crash? Is it just going to be a mess? Thankfully, it doesn't seem to be. It's quite interesting because it's set 10 years before the original show in the 60s and it's got a an interesting lead character. Um, she's not only ethnically diverse, like in terms of skin colour, because she's black, but she's also ethnically, ethnically diverse because she's a human, but she was brought up with the Vulcan way. So, you know, if you know anything about Star Trek, you know the Vulcans, Spark and all those guys, they're very emotionless and they speak in very monotone and they restrain their emotions. So she's got a bit of that going on. She's a bit of a woman of two worlds and she's the first officer. She's not the captain. So the main character isn't the captain for the first time ever. And you've got the Klingons back in a big way, like as the bad guys, you know, because over the years they were softened up with with Worf in the next generation being all fun, you know, and that kind of thing. And uh, now they're, they're proper antagonists again. They're quite, they're, they're like fundamentalists. They're very, they've really tapped a kind of, you know, Taliban ISIS kind of vein with these guys and that they're fundamentalist rebels who are quite determined to go on this holy war, essentially. So you've got that modern kind of commentary going on. But the thing is, what well, I think what they've done is they've got the feel of it right. Anyone who knows Star Trek... You look for certain things, you look for production design, you look for uniforms, you look for, you know, certain ways in which they film it. And I think it looks a bit more like the Abrams stuff, but it's got the feel of the shows, I think. And so I was I was really satisfied. And it breezes along quite quite nicely and it's serialized. So, you know, that each one so the first two have ended up on pretty whopping cliffhangers, and it's not conventional. Like the other shows, it's been Ship, crew, different adventure each week, different morality story. This is a proper serialized story. 
And by the end of series, episode two, without spoiling anything, it's not a conventional plot. So, yeah, it's a winner. If, any, if, if you're a Star Trek fan, well, if you're a Star Trek fan, you're going to be a pain in the ass <laughs> because they all are. No offense to anyone who's listening who's a Star Trek fan, but they will hate parts of it. But I think proper Star Trek fans will love it. So give it a try. It's on Netflix. And yeah, it's good. Really good. Have they done any hand-to-hand fighting in it yet? Yeah, a little bit. Have they still got the 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 two-handed punch to the solar plexus and then two-hands over the, the back? Sadly the not yet. I, I, I do hope oh. we get that because that's a beautiful, weird Trek thing. <laughs> the two-handed fist to the back. It's, yeah, it's like, glorious. Guys, we've got fight training, but only for like 20 minutes <laughs> for the whole next seven seasons. So get this one yeah. learned. Yeah, it's the, the good one. Fight it's the person choice. who does the sort of fighting a stunt double, like slightly podgier, wearing a ill-fitting wig. <laughs> Is that still a thing in Star Trek? I think, I think like the main woman, mm. I think her name's Sonequa Martin-Green. I suspect she's probably done her own. And to be fair, uh, Michelle, Michelle Yeoh's in it. And she gets oh, well, a, okay. Well, she she gets a bit of a fight. So if she did, if she didn't do her own stunts, I'll be pretty shocked. Um, uh, have we got any nods to uh, other Star Trek things? You know, well, particularly the films, cool. right? Because they're still quite new. Yeah, there's 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 just a lot of visual sort of things. Like, I mean, the the guy who did the Wrath of Khan, Nick, Nicholas Mayer, is is one of the consultants, and you can see a little bit of the kind of design elements he brought into the Star Trek universe, just in certain of the ways in which the technology's presented. There's also things like Spock's dad is in it, which isn't a spoiler, really. It's been something that's been publicised quite well. Um, so that's a very direct reference to a character who's very well-known in the Star Trek universe. And there's something in that with that character, which, as a big fan, made me go, ooh, because it's a massive continuity thing they've managed to tap, I think. But So there's there's little things. There's a few references. The the noises are there, like the, um, you know, the, the whooshing doors and the, the red alert sirens. So you've... <laughs> Yeah, you've got all that stuff. Yeah, um, so yeah, it's. I think it's. It, you can tell it's made by Star Trek fans, which hasn't always been the case with some of the these things. I mean, J.J. Abrams is much more of a Star Wars guy, which is why his Star Wars films are better. Well, his Star Wars film is better. Mm. Um, so because he said, he came out and said, didn't he, that he wasn't ever for a Star Trek fan? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I, I really like his first one, you know, and, and yeah, I think yeah, I think that's great. But it's not very Star Trek. It really, it's it's a Star Trek film for non-Star Trek fans. Yeah, isn't it? it kind of is. And you know, he was he was trying to make a bit of a Star Warsy like film with some of those. So he's much more at home doing what he's doing now. But the guys who are making this, you can tell they know their Trek, and I think that that walk that comes across in a big way. Um, so if you know, like I said, if if you're a big fan of this franchise, I think you're going to really dig this. But then. Is it accessible for new people-ish? My girlfriend has never really sat down and watched the the start of a Star Trek series before, and she enjoyed it. So, I mean, that's mm. that's possibly the barometer. But, yeah, every Monday on Netflix. So, um, yeah, boldly go, as they say. Yes. Uh, I'll give it a go. Can, can you guys do the finger thing? The bo- I, yeah, I can't. yeah the, the, the live long and prosper oh, thing. Oh, oh, hang on. Hang on. I've just done it. First time ever. You know it's your, your middle and <laughs> index together and your ring and pinky together. That is actually mental. I've never been able to do that before. I've just done it for the first time in my life. That, so you say, no, no, there's can, no video proof. Can check. Can, can you no. do the Star Trek doors, though? The, can, can you do the... No. no. Uh, 
I can tell you how they do it. I'm still, I'm still staring it. at my hat. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I've just done that. That's weird. Anyway, um, uh, Brian, what have you seen this week? I've been watching a very strange thing called Mr. Biffle's Found Footage. Now, listeners of a certain age, and this might include Brooker, who's not here, um, when you're in the 90s, one of the main places of video, video game news in Britain was Digitizer. Ten pages of teletext on Channel 4 that updated relatively regularly. Has anybody else read it? No. no. I've heard of it. I mean, teletext for me was always the football news and scores. Yeah. Yeah, th- 302. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when you come back home from school. Yeah. yeah. Um, Digitizer was like this cult following thing in that it did video game stuff and then silly stuff and every uh few pages would be like mr t's diary where mr t tells the kids to get away from his bins It'd be the man daddy where he makes awful jokes and you, you press reveal to get another small joke mr biffle he's got an actual name i don't know his actual name <laughs> um ended up uh training to to do a whole bunch of things end up writing children's sitcoms. And from that, he did two things for the CBBC, I think filmed in Northern Ireland, and then got the gig of writing the Pudgy the Dog film, which is, well, you see that, he wrote it. Then the editor went, nah, I think we'll cut this, 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 and I'll improvise this, this, and this for lines. And he went, that's not the film. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, but I, I can't see the Pudgy the Dog film being vastly different due to what was left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> I think the stuff just wasn't filmed rather than stuff that was cut out. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's his pedigree. And he's done a thing called Found Footage, which is a set of, I think, 20-minute YouTube videos. The idea is that he went to a car boot sale in 2003, got a bunch of VHS cassettes, and he's found a conspiracy that tells us about the dark side of our reality. It's slightly Black Mirror. It's slightly a sketch show. It's slightly funny. Like some bits are, this is what a student thinks funny should be or what a student thinks weird should be. But it's not just him. Like he's got bits with Ian Lee. who used. What was the Channel 4 late night thing Ian Lee used to do about 15 years ago? But it's Ian Lee who's now had a radio show. He's in it for a bit. Um, Dave Perry, who used to be a mainstay in the 1990s British TV video game circuit. He's in it for a bit. Uh, Danny Wallace is in it. <laughs> wow. What the, so the, it's, um, the footballer? No, no. He, he, obviously he, he's the yes man, right? And how to start your yeah. country, your own country, um, or whatever it's called. That guy. He's the one who did the thing about the journey to the center of the world. Yes. We went to this shit town in Texas. Um, living in Texas, but yeah, it, it's the entire thing as it exists is a strange concept. The sketches themselves are strange. Like they start with, um, if you imagine a, a, a telesales guy called Goujon Jean. And Goujon Jean wants you to have some Goujons now. And it's this, this strange TV after Goujons. Everyone else has gone quiet. Mm, is it a joke? <laughs> oh, right. No, I'm, I'm literally just checking that you're there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 
And then they do a bit where it's the Gouchon Jean, but he set up as being like the games master. And there's, there's bits in it that think this is a little bit of word. Now some words just sound funny or the idea of it is funny. Like, have you seen that list of names of members of the, of the So Solid crew? Yes. The... Yes. I think that Rhyming Douglas is a funny name mm-hmm. for someone in the So Solid crew. There's a thing called the, the Roaming Thomas, which if you're lonely, you have it in your house and Roaming Thomas will roam around and keep you happy. Bits of it are very weird and think, I don't know why you think this is funny. Bits of it are very dark and bits of it are actually funny. And it's all just quite unsettling. And I don't know, well, I think it's meant to be unsettling, but maybe not in the way that it actually is. If you've got a spare two minutes, have a little look at one of them. Uh, oh, there's also a song, an actually good song, about Clive Sinclair, the, the ballad of Clive Sinclair, and what he made after the C5, and what the C6, C7, C8, and C9 were like. <laughs> okay. My main takeaway is it's tremendously strange. And if, if you are going, oh, I love tremendously strange, check out Mr. Biffo's fine footage. I think it's an episode comes out every week on Sunday nights for I don't know how long. Apparently we've had episode four, which is the end of act one of fine footage. Cool. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this week I have been watching a mini series from last year that was made by the BBC is now gone to Netflix, which is called Stag. Um, and it is billed as a black comedy. It stars um, Jim Howick, who you'll probably know as Gerard from Peep Show or the guy, one of the main guys from uh, Horrible Histories. Uh, it also features Tim Keen, James Cosmo and Bree Shearsmith in in much smaller roles and it's about uh, a group of guys who go on a stag do obviously hunting in Scotland um, and it all goes a bit wrong for them um, <clears throat> the, the the main character which is I said, played by uh, Jim Howick um, he kind of uh, so all, all the other guys on this stag do are all quite laddie and they've all got you know, stupid nicknames they've given each other and they, they're they all kind of quite uh, trying to be alpha and over, you know, hard. Just lads, and, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. yeah. Um, and he's not quite like, he's the stag's uh, future brother-in-law whose sister has asked him to go along more than anything else um, to look after him. And they, they end up... Um, yeah, they're obviously in the, in the Scottish wilderness, in the Highlands, and uh, things start going wrong. Some of them start getting killed off, and they don't know who the killer is. Uh, there's all kinds of, you know, mystery behind uh, who it is. They, they come up with different ideas of who it might be. Is the person who's meant to be leading on the hunting party because they've offended him, because they have just been taking the mick out of him? Is it one of the group? Is it just some unknown random mentalist? Um, I've not watched the final episode. There's three episodes. I've not watched the final one yet, so I'm still uh, waiting to see who it turns out to be. Um, Who's your money on at the minute, at this point? Because that'd be quite interesting to know. Like, with my, an episode to go, who who do you uh, think? Have, if you if you seen it, and Owen or not? I saw it last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think it's anyone obvious at the moment. 
I don't think it's anybody who I've who I've seen yet. Right. Or if it is, it's quite a minor character who they've not really made too much of. Um, I think the thing is, with it being billed as a black comedy, and there's a lot of comic comic actors in there, I've not actually found it that funny, but I have kind of found it a good watch. I have kind of been liked watching it, seeing how it plays out. Um, I, you know, I have liked some of the characters and the way they're kind of, um, you know, taking apart the whole kind of macho blokey bloke thing. Um, but I've not actually laughed that much at it for something that mm. does have that many comedians in it and is billed as a, co- a, a comedy of sorts. Um, but I do think it's it's quite well put together, the, the, the plotting of it. Um, it. It does make you want to keep watching to see how it is resolved, although it isn't really the best thing going. Mm. It's okay. It was kind of it was kind of fun at the time, but immediately forgettable. Yeah. Um, again, I think like you like you've said, the people in it they're pretty good. Tim Key's always good. Reese Shearsmith's always good. Um, you know, I think it was James Cosmo, wasn't it, who was the gamekeeper? Yes. I'm looking. Yeah, on Wikipedia. He he. Um, again, I mean, James Cosmo is a pretty bloody good actor. Yeah. Um, in fact, they're all pretty good actors. Jim Hewick I really like as well. I mean, everything from yeah. Yonderland to his little bit, like you said, in Peep Show, is, is just a great yeah. comic actor. So Yeah, and Horrible Histories, you could never really fault, really, can you? It's... Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, it was a solid, solid little series. but um, Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really got any desire to go back to it. I don't think there'll ever be another one. I don't no. think I'll make a part two. But, um, yeah, I, will, I mean, I'm going to... I want you to tell me what your reaction is when you find out who the killer is, though. Okay. Because it was a bit um, of a... I don't know whether I saw it. I don't think I saw it coming, but I think it was yeah. just a bit like... Um, I, I'm not, no, I'm not going to say anymore in case it gives it away, but... Uh, yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll tweet you tomorrow when I probably get around to watching the final episode. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's available on Netflix now. Um, Owen, what have you seen this week? I watched um, a cult horror film from 1979 called Phantasm. Uh, it's written and directed by Don Cuscarelli, who uh, is basically known for the Phantasm film series, but he also did John Dies at the End, which was kind of fun, a bit weird. He did The Beastmaster, which is another cult film. Um, and he also did Bubba Hotep, which is a film about an elderly Elvis Presley fighting yeah. mummies in an old people's home. Yeah, that was different, wasn't it? That was a bit odd. Yeah, mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell in that is just quality. Um, yeah, so Phantasm is American. It's an American cult horror film, but feels very much like watching a Euro horror uh, of that, from that era, something maybe that came out of Italy. Uh, it came out right at the end of the 70s. Like I said, it was 1979. So uh, it's, about, it's, it's just got that whole vibe about it. I think it was heavily influenced by some of the giallo horrors from uh, from the era. It's about a 13-year-old boy called Mike who's played by an actor called A. Michael Baldwin. Um, and that's how he's credited. A. Michael Baldwin. But he's not THE Mike Baldwin from Corrie. No. A. No. Mike Baldwin, to clarify. Um, anyway, Mike and his older brother Jody, who's played by Bill Thornbury, they become the target of a weird, somewhat supernatural grave robber called The Tall Man who looks a bit like Max Wall. So if you've ever seen the video 
for Vindaloo by Fat Liz. You know the guy who's in the bald cap, got the long hair at the sides and the tuxedo runs around bobbing <laughs> his head about? Yeah. 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 That's a bit like what the tall man looks like in this. Right. Um, yes. And well, the tall man is able... very intimidating. Well, he, he is very intimidating in this. He's also ably assisted by his army of zombie dwarves. Um, yes. It looks... If you were going to pick... A, a zombie army, yeah, and you're going to specify a, a body type. You wouldn't uh-huh. go for dwarf, would you? Well, let's see. These are the people. He robs the graves, and all the people that are in the the town where he is, somewhere in Oregon, they are turned into dwarfs when they come back as zombies. But, um, it's not really explained either. But anyway, so it looks even weirder than it sounds as well, because the actor who's playing the tall man, who's called Angus Scrim. He uh, was about six foot four. He wore a suit that was too small and had platform shoes. So he looks fucking massive anyway. Um, Basically, he's like Christopher Lee massive. That's what he looks like in this. He's a really big, tall, skinny, intimidating looking fella. Um, If he didn't remind you of the guy from the Fat Les music video. So it's a proper cult horror. It was made for not very much money but grossed a lot of money. I think that's kind of the definition, and it's got since gone on to become this sort of uh, hit with horror fans. Uh, there are there are some really lovely shots in it. It's very atmospheric. Uh, I, I mean, it has terrible acting in it. I mean, it, it, some some of it is just embarrassing, but and large portions of it don't make sense. For example, like the the dwarves. Why are they dwarves? I don't know. The woman in it who lures blokes back to the graveyard to shag them but then stabs them afterwards uh and and the the blind mute psychic grandma neighbor and just all of it just like what are they doing in this film what's the point of them other than to be a bit kind of nightmarish it's all a bit weird um however this wasn't the first time that i've seen phantasm i watched it back in uh 2012 and was mildly underwhelmed by it at the time which is kind of sacrilegious to say out loud because it's such a favourite for a lot of people. And this, I mean, this time too, it didn't have that much impact on me, but I did like it more. And I think the reason um, I liked it more, and the reason I rewatched it, to be honest, was because all of the Phantasm movies have been added to Shudder uh, recently uh, because they've been restored by J.J. Abrams and his production company, Bad Robot. And they've all been restored to 4K quality. Um, they were originally shown at a film festival in 2016 when they were redone and the reaction was very positive. Um, I, th- I only found out about this like when I noticed they were added to, to Shudder. It's not like I've been following it, but actually it convinced me enough to go and, to go and watch it again. And it, honestly, it just looks incredible. It, they've really done a great job at making it this sort of HD, um, uh, properly modern-looking... Um, horror it's great uh i always remember remembered it was looking kind of cheap as well but it you know it did, in this high quality it just doesn't look that cheap I'm, sometimes when these older films are restored you tend to notice some of the lamer cheaper looking effects but i don't think it really mattered so much in this one um it streamed really well through shudder as well so that's always a bonus because sometimes shudder's a bit iffy uh, and i know i end up plugging shudder a lot despite not really having any special discount codes to hand out to listeners. You can't go to shudder forward slash fail critics and get a discount. But uh, they really do have some classic films on there. And it's it's basically a Netflix of horror films. And 
I wouldn't have bothered ever watching Phantasm again if it weren't for Shudder adding um, this restored version um, to its streaming service. So, I mean, I get, I'd recommend people give it a go, uh, particularly if you are into sort of your cult horrors and haven't seen it yet. And then, yeah, if you wanted to, you could check out the, I think there's five sequels in total and they're all, all there waiting for you. That wasn't a subtle hint, was it, when you were talking about discount code? No. Um, no. Uh, do you think I should try? I'm going to try. I'm going to say. Well, no, just in, just in case people thought you were like subtly hinting. Oh, if you if you you know if you went to Shudder and typed in fail critics, you wouldn't get anything. Type like, in fail critics when prompted to do so, and you'll get yeah. fuck all. Yeah. Okay. That's uh yeah. So that's all on Shudder, which is like a horror version of Netflix, is it? Exactly that. Yeah. 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 I think it's owned. I think it's owned by Sony. Um. It's so it's not an independent little mm. thing, but yeah, I mean, it for, for what it does for horror films, there's some. Um, uh, I mean, every other week now, I'm watching stuff on there, and then it's seemingly reviewing it on the podcast. So, yeah, cool. I like it. Two new releases for us to review this week. First of all, uh, is the film that only Tony has seen, which is the uh, new Borg versus McEnroe film. Is this another Star Trek one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the Borg versus John Macra. I'd watch that, actually. I think that'd be amazing. Um, It'd be very, very short. You cannot be serious about assimilating. Yeah, anyway, um, but no. Um, I wondered how long it would take to do a you cannot be serious joke. Well, it is in the film. All I, could, all I can say is that I was upset it wasn't me. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Steve. <laughs> sorry. But it is it is in the film. You do get the you cannot be serious moment in uh Borg versus McEnroe, which uh, is about um, Borg and McEnroe. Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe, um, the two two of the biggest names in tennis ever. Tennis isn't one of those, um, you know, it's not one of those sports that gets a lot of love with cinema. Although, ironically, we've got two tennis films out in the next, like, three months. We've got Battle of the Sexes with um, mm-hmm. Emma Stone and uh, Steve Carell in a couple of months, So, which looks like a very different film. But... Um, it's this obviously in the grand uh, tradition of most good sports films. This isn't really about tennis. It's more about the psychology of these two guys. So you got Bjorn Borg, four times Wimbledon world champion, in a row, and he's top dog. This is nineteen eighty. He's top dog, and John McEnroe's the angry young upstart. And the difference is McEnroe is, as we know, McEnroe's barking, which is why he's played by Shia LaBeouf because it's a good Shia LaBeouf is really good in this because he plays himself effectively. So he's like really angry and wants the title and everything. He's got a lot to prove. And then Ben Borg is this vision of cool. You know, he's not, he's called a machine. You know, he's just got that Swedish efficiency to him. But while McEnroe is trying to prove himself and he's angry that people want to talk more about his reputation than his tennis, Borg He's struggling with fame. He's struggling with the pressure of, of hitting the five times world champion title, which would put him in the record books forever. So it's it tells that story. So it, it's it's set during the finals, the Wimbledon finals of, in 1980, um, and it does it does that traditional sort of sports thing. It starts with a little bit of the, the match, and then goes back to like a week before and and tells the story of how they got there, and then there are flashbacks to when they're both kids and the story of how they both you know, became involved in tennis and, you know, how Borg was more like McEnroe when he was a kid, funnily enough, and then he learned to channel that. Um, but it's it's good, you know, it's, it's really well put together, I thought. I thought it was 
two great performances. The guy who plays Borg is called Sverre Goodnesson, I think his name is. And he's good at that sort of restrained level, whereas LaBeouf is all, you know, swearing, anger, energy. And they, they, they complement each other really well. You know, it's pretty well shot. It's um, It doesn't feel like it drags. And the, the final tennis match is really well put together because that match, I mean, this was before I was born, so I don't remember it. Um, but it was an electrifying match by all accounts. They they said, I was when I was looking at it, actually, when I was reviewing it, it was the match wasn't equaled in tennis terms until Federer and Nadal in, in 2008. Hmm. Um, for like nearly 30 years, people considered that to be the greatest tennis match ever played. And it was an epic. Um, and I won't tell you who wins it, but because I didn't know, I didn't know who won it actually. I didn't know the ending, which made it more interesting actually to watch. It's great watching sports films like that. I had that watching Rush. I was thinking mm. exactly thought, the same thing. Yeah. I I don't I I don't know how this goes, and I don't know who wants to win. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but it does sound kind of um, similar to Rush in so much as it's about two very very top level sports um, sports stars within their sport who have got very different, not just personalities, but methods yeah. of, um, you know, they're different, different ways and different reasons for, um, you know, doing, doing the sport that they, that they do. Yeah. And that, that's exactly what it is. And it's, 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 it's psychological as well. You know, it's about their, the, the strain on their mental health in different ways in order to be the best, you know, in order to be the top of their game. Um, so it's it's biography by way of you know one of those sports films where oh, you see he's not really he's not really an, an, an underdog you root for McEnroe because he's a bit of a twat but at the same time he's not loathsome in it and you can understand it's more about Borg really than McEnroe but you understand his his journey as well you know and by the end you actually quite like both of them so that that's that kind of makes you know the journey. By the time you get to that final, even more interesting. I just, I really liked it. I really liked it, especially come off the back of Kingsman, which I didn't like particularly. But that's that's for that's for later. But like it was it was it was good. It was good. I recommend it, even if you, you know, you um you don't love tennis or you don't know much about tennis, you don't really have to. I'm a casual tennis watcher, and I like I say, I didn't know the, the ending of this. I didn't know the result. Um. And I was I was pretty I was pretty hooked. So it's it's a good one. It's a good sports one. Uh, yeah, Kingsman. Not too much later because we're doing that now. Uh, <laughs> Kingsman, the golden yeah, Kingsman, the golden circle, the sequel to the uh, twenty fourteen surprise hit, uh, and we see um, uh, Taron Egerton and Mark Strong um, and Colin Firth. That's not a, that's not a secret. It's in the trailer. Uh, come back as uh, the Kingsman undergo uh, a bit of um turmoil at the hands of a new villain played by Julianne Moore um and they have to join up with their american counterparts um the statesman what did we all think of the film i thought it was fine the major problems with it being is that it wasn't anything surprising it wasn't anything new and it wasn't anything that was different and took you by surprise in so much as the first one. Um, the action film, the action scenes were all really well done and they looked cool and they looked stylish and they looked fun. And then obviously in the, in the first one you had Colin Firth who no one really thought could be an action star was actually really good in that role. And in this 
second one. You've got all of that, but it's not a surprise anymore. So it was just okay for me. I thought pretty much that. I mean, I, I didn't watch any of the trailers on the grounds that I'm going to see the film. I don't need you to sell it to me. Um, so I didn't... Like, I, I, I had seen posters that Colin Firth was back, but I didn't go in knowing any story beats. I thought from the, the one poster I saw that the Golden Circle was about this lasso that someone had in the hip. Right, Golden Circle, Statesman, got it, sorted. Um, but yeah, the first one, it wasn't just it looked cool. I hadn't seen anything like the church scene before. Mm. It seemed like genuinely innovative cinematic violence that was slightly thrilling. Whereas this one, it felt a bit like Pirates of the Caribbean 2. They sat down and said, what worked with number one? We'll do that, but we'll turn it up to 11. And it's like, but I've already seen mm. lots of that stuff. Mm. The exciting thing to do would be to try something new instead of do the same thing, but more. I mean, some scenes were almost exactly the same. They just almost did the exact same thing again, hoping for better results. And it just it just felt a bit lazy, I think, is the it's, issue. It's a film that's very conscious that it's a sequel. Yeah. And you, you probably could watch the first, you could watch the second one on its own and be right. That's fine. It explains everything for you, but it does depend on getting impact from you having seen the first one. Mm. I don't. I don't because know. It leans on it all the time. I don't know really what original they could have done though. I mean, but the plot was the almost it's the original. same, right? You can think of it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Because the, the the first one had this, the phone was going to be the, the SIM cards were the ones that were basically going to make everyone. Yeah, supremely violent and kill each other, and you go okay. Well, in this one, what's the difference? Well, it's drugs. Drugs. People who are smoking drugs are all going to die. Yeah. It's, well, it's exact same hostage kind of mm. situation going on. Yeah. But there was um, just less of the villain. Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson wasn't in it a huge amount in the first one, but he was kind of interesting. Whereas Julianne Moore had one characteristic. There seemed to be more to Samuel L. Jackson's character. There seemed to be uh, a bit more to that villain. Um, Whereas Poppy was just... Uh, I mean, it's kind of funny the first time and you thought, okay, she's making... Because the first time you see her is when the two uh, goons... Keith Allen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, that, that was quite a good scene. I quite enjoyed that bit. And then it, it didn't really go anywhere from there. It was just a mm. bit... A bit of a shame, really. Whereas, you know, with Samuel L. Jackson, it was quite interesting to see him each time he was on screen. Yeah, I did. I did like the the henchman coming back from the first film, Charlie. I did. I thought that was mm, quite yeah. good. And I thought he was quite good mm-hmm. um, as, as kind of a antagonist. Um, yeah, and it was actually Taron Egerton and Mark Strong were both good. They're both reliable. Yeah, I, th- I thought Mark Strong. I, Thought Mark Strong was probably of the of the good guys, the the better of the of the three in this one. He has one of the best jokes. More. He has one of the best jokes though, mm. with the uh, when they finish off the bottle of Kentucky. Yeah. And they're both super pissed. Yeah. And they're gonna have to go to Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, I love fried oh. chicken. That's, that wasn't that great. Joke. You didn't like that. Well, it was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I I I just thought it it. it it's nothing original now. So the wow factor of the first one, the two or three things that made you, you know, like Colin Firth being this action 
star with all the you know the church scene and the and the pub scene and mm. everything in a photo. Like, wow, that's the guy from the King's Speech. He should be. That's he, a quality film. Yeah, the King's Speech is ace. No, but you, but you know what I mean. You're looking at it. And he's doing yeah. that, and you think he should be crap at this. He's never done anything like this. Do you, do you know what I think the, the the problem is with it? One of the big problems, and I'm, I'm giving you a, a, a shameless plug here, but I'm giving you an insight into an article that I'm writing about this that's coming out tomorrow on setthetape.com. Um, which, never heard never of it, heard, uh, yeah, some, <laughs> some website. Um, yeah. But I think part of the problem is it, it's got nothing to say. The first film was about culture in many ways. It was about the class divide. It was about Eggsy being essentially like, you know, an urban chav, for want of a better word, who then is, you know, risen up. Matthew Vaughan loved the fact that he was able to take a chav and make him into, you know, Colin Firth, into an establishment figure. He hates the establishment. He's always having to stick one finger up and all that. And that's what Kingsman was. It was a cheeky little fuck you <sighs> to that kind of thing, while also embracing it at the same time, which is why Colin Firth was so bad. I... But the problem with this is that they, there's nothing going on there. That, that had a very interesting story arc and it had some commentary on, on British culture and things like that. Statesman is a gimmick. And it's a gimmick. It's a one-joke gimmick that doesn't last very long either. Jeff Bridges is simply there to just go, yeah, and that kind of thing. Channing Tatum's wasted. Like, he's barely in it. And it just, mm. it just feels like you're not saying anything about that stereotype. You know, at least with... You know, Colin Firth and the Kingsman, you're tapping into things like, you know, old James Bond, the Avengers, that kind of, you know, upper class comportment, manners, that kind of thing. With the Americans, it's just to get people dressed in chaps, flinging whips. You know, there's there's nothing there. And that, mm. and the, all the way through, I was thinking, yeah, OK, this is fun. It is fun. You know, some of, some of the sequences were, were fine. I like Taryn Edgerton. I, I like you guys. I like Mark Strong, although, spoilers, what they do with him at the end, I just was like, oh, fuck off. No, um, there's, but there's just like, it It was hollow. It was hollow and it was repetitious. Like you guys have said, the story's exactly the same. Julianne Moore's a watered down Sam Jackson. And by the end, I was just like, that was just flabby. It was bloated. And it was exactly mm. what you don't do with a sequel if you want to create something genuinely interesting. Uh, and the, the kind of, the, the, the things that it tried to do that were interesting they never really followed up on. So with the villain, with Samuel L. Jackson in the first film, his main thing was you know everybody obsessed with both celebrity and their and like you know being connected to mm. to the internet, having their mobile phone. In this one, obviously the 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 uh, the big thing is the main villain is is you know a, a drug cartel leader, a, a basically big time drug dealer. Um, and the president in that, there's a whole thing about legalising drugs, which is an interesting concept to touch on, except they just touch on it and don't do anything more with it. Um, and also then there's the, the, the other it's kind of more interesting thing with, with regards to the plot is um, Eggsy's character um, being in his, his job as kind of, a, I suppose, a spy, having to... Uh, sleep with uh, a target or an enemy but also being in a relationship and they touch on that element of it and then don't really do anything with that either but that was that no, was touch on that element uh, <laughs> very good well <laughs> yeah that was, oh, that was fucking uncomfortable that was, was the point though wasn't it right that was what he that's exactly what matthew vaughan wanted people to feel like this is oh. awkward like look at what it is 
he's kind of molesting her in a way because he's doing it for nefarious purposes, right? He's trying to implant a device in her. Come on, we're, this, this, so, we're, we're talking right. about a bit of we're, fingering. Yeah, Quick yeah. Question, but it's like she... Quick question, though. Quick question. Who here watched it with their dad? Oh. No, I didn't. No. no. And watch the first one with their dad, because that's what we do now. My dad and I go out to see Kingsman <laughs> films. Like, the release date, dad, we're going out. Awkward. Oh, well, the anal joke at the start was like, oh my God. <laughs> and they know it's one that's made everyone go, ah, so they keep on referring to yeah, it. Yeah. Which is good. Like, I'm happy. Can I... I get tickets if I say the world? You can get backstage passes. We all know you that's <laughs> <laughs> Talking of that... What do we think about Elton John in well, this? Well, just, just before you do that, I mean, on that, that sex scene, though, the, you know the actress who was playing Clara? Mm -hmm. um, yep. Taron Egerton wouldn't do that scene. He didn't want to do it. So they had to get her husband in to play Taron Egerton to do the fingering bit. You know, you know what's funny with that? Did funny you, know? you should say that, Owen, because he was on Kermode de Mayo, and I don't know if any of you listened to that, but he was on that. And then afterwards, no, he was asked no. about that by Simon Mayo, and he kind of skirted around whether or not, you know, he thought that it was, you know, a good thing to sort of replay the mm. same kind of gross-out sex gag that the first film had. And, and Kermode makes the point, he says, I think, reading between the lines, Taryn Edgerton didn't like it, and he didn't like it in the first one either. And so it's mm. funny you should say that, because, yeah, there's a feeling like he's... It's probably one of the things that he wasn't on board with, because it, it does feel like... It's. I know what they're trying to. I know what he's trying to do, Matthew Vaughan. But mm -hmm. it kind of just. He's saying, "Look, think about it when James Bond does it." That's what he's saying. He is, think but, about it when yeah, James yeah. Bond just shags the target. I think it worked better in yeah, the first saying, one because you kind of at the end of every Bond film, he always shack, he always ends up shacking up with some bird, right? Yeah. And he's obviously going to do stuff like that to her. And that film was a bit more on the nose. But this one. I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm no, I'm no prude at all, but I just felt it, found it was just a bit icky, you know, and I, but that's the point. I it, think, yeah. Because it is, it, it seemed, it, it's very, it's like it's punishing the audience. Like, you wanted a sex bit. Here's a sex yeah. scene for you. Are you not enjoying the sexy <laughs> bit? Again, I mean, it was like, one no, of the things I quite liked about the film is that it would do that. It, it's definitely something I haven't seen elsewhere, yeah. and that's, it has at least that thing going for it. And considering the amount of uh, dismemberment mm -hmm. and mutilation that we get in all the, the violence bits, the fact that this is what makes people uncomfortable and they really push it, mm -hmm. I, I think it has to have some sort of points for mm -hmm. it. I also, you talked about class, we can get off fingering for a minute. Um, <laughs> I found that the, the start of the first film that had kind of an uncomfortable feel about class. Mm -hmm. It was kind of sneery. Like if you see the, the bit from his mum from when his dad gets killed to like 15 years later when she's getting implied to be double teamed by her new bloke and his mate. And it's all a bit sordid and it's like, uh, chavs, I'm doing fingers and like, uh, chavs, what are they like? And it still has that slightly uncomfortable bit and I know for Exia it is because they do lots of like code switching mm -hmm. and where he's in his suit and he's being all presentable, then he's lined around in his Adidas because it's Adidas. You spotted it's Adidas. And he's around in his like uh, track suits and baseball caps. And it has, it could have a thing to say about code switching to go from Chav to Posh Taylor and then to go that same thing from Posh Taylor to royalty. I don't know if it doesn't make that point again because it'd just be rehashing 
or because it hasn't doesn't want but to believe it. But there's an there's an element. There's too of much it. going on. Like in this film, there's just so many things that they're trying to do. There's Colin Firth coming back. There's you know the Kingsman being destroyed, and then off in one of the really good characters in the first film, like in five minutes, which is a real shame. The the woman Roxy. You know, you've got yeah. the statesman, you've got Poppy the villain, you've got Mark Strong. There's just too much. So, like you said, and you, you can't do all that. And the, is it interesting? The best, the best person in it who, who who you neglected to mention there, Elton John. <laughs> At first, again, like this was we were talking earlier about the things that are wrong with some sequels, and it's usually one of those things that's wrong with it is celebrity cameo. And as soon as he was in it, I thought, oh, here we go, celebrity cameo. But actually, he got quite a bit to do, and I mean, he's a terrible actor. But the character was funny. It did work, I think, the joke, yeah. yeah. He was willing to laugh at himself. Which mm. is a, yeah, it's the bit yeah. where he sat down in the room yeah. in the little cubicle and he's like, get, out, get the fuck out of my room. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind him. Yeah. I think if it was someone else, it would have been massively obnoxious. Yeah, the wrong yeah. celebrity in that role would have not... It worked, worked better than it had ever... Any right to. He had more screen time than I expected, mm-hmm. and the, the bit with the flying kick on the platforms was like... Yeah, that was a bit cringe. Yeah. But I, I think it was just about enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they've obviously teed it up for a third film. Whether they'll make one or not, I don't know. I imagine right. it would do quite would... well at the box office, um, and if the people are willing to return... I... I don't want to watch Golden Circle twice, but I would want to watch a sequel to it. If they, yeah, I'd watch a sequel to it in the hope that they would do something different with the series or try and be a bit more original. Or I don't mm. really know what they can do, but that's not well, my they're, job. They're talking about doing a Statesman spin-off, apparently, mm. which presumably would front load Channing Tatum. You'd imagine the, you know, and, and Halle Berry. Even though he's just doing the yeah, well, yeah, yeah, even though by the end. Um, so maybe they'll do that. I, I, I think I think they will do a third one, but I don't think the expectation. I, th- I don't think people will be as excited about it now. To be quite honest, because no, I think, no. I think well, there's more, there's more of a chance of a, a Kingsman three than there is a Kickass three. Mm. Put it that way, you know. Well, well that's because Kingsman. That's well, because also, Kingsman two was better than Kickass two. And there's also a third Kingsman series being written. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Red Diamond, I think, is coming out this mm. night. Uh, well, that's almost all for the podcast this week. We're going to go for some recommendations before we send you on your way, though. Uh, I am going to go for. Um, something that I've not even seen but I'm going to watch it um, I'm going for uh, if you're bored on a Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock if you go to the horror channel there is a film from 2014 called Ice Tastrophe <laughs> <laughs> right and if you read the overview uh, for this film actually the thing I like is there's no recognisable names in it so when you're looking down the, um, the the cast list, I don't know which is the character's name and which is the actor's name. <laughs> so is it's, it's Charlie Ratchet the character or the actor? Is is uh, is is Crystal Crooge the character or is it Johanna <laughs> Newmarch? I don't know. That's next week's quiz. That's next week's quiz. All sorts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the only one that the only one that I know is definitely a character is Mayor Gibbons because Ben Cotton is not a character over Mayor Gibbons. Mayor is not someone's first name. It might be. Anyway, the overview for the film is two feuding families face a battle for survival at Christmas. A meteor crashes to Earth in the middle of their small hometown and unleashes a wave of ice crystals that freezes everything it touches with deadly consequences for anyone caught in its path. Uh, it seems so a bit like that name, name 
um, disaster movie that I keep seeing trailers. That Jared Butler one. I am all over Geostorm. Yeah. Uh, that looks fucking awful. <laughs> Terrible. It looks great. I will, I will like Geostorm. I don't care who yeah. knows it. And if any, anyone thinks me any less, I will go and watch it. I will enjoy it. And I don't care who knows it. <laughs> My, the only thing that I liked about the Geostorm trailer was I could lean over to my dad and say, I worked with his cousin. <laughs> it, it just looks utter pump. No, it's going to be great. It is going to be great. It's going to be stupid. It's going to be great. It's going to be great fun. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The science will be all neutrinos mutating everywhere. <laughs> and it's going to be great fun. Uh, and And some landmarks will get destroyed. Mm. Definitely. We'll definitely see at least uh, definitely see at least a hat trick of landmarks being destroyed. <laughs> it's being pro- it's being produced and directed by the guy who produced the Stargate film, Independence Day, yes. Godzilla from nineteen ninety eight, Eight Legged Freaks. That's that's the quality we're in for. Yeah, I'm sold. And you didn't need to tell me that before. I was already sold. <laughs> <laughs> so is Eight Legged Freaks. His last big film. I'm having a look through. Cellular? I don't know what that is. Uh, Ring. Oh, is that not a, a, a lone woman murder thriller story? Uh, with Kim Basinger. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. And Chris Evans and Jason Chris Statham. Statham. Yeah. Oh. It's not, he's got a good cast, weirdly, yeah. 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 He's uh, done some li- librarian films, like TV movies. Oh, the librarian. Is that the librarian? Oh, right. Mm. Yeah. Is that the, the American TV series with Noah Wiley? I think it is. Uh, or am I it is the else? librarian TV series. He was an executive producer. Mm. I have not... Yeah. I don't know what that is, just that it exists and it looks weird. Mm. Well, anyway, uh, that's that Ice-tastrophe and more on that next week. <laughs> <laughs> is that going to um, be your what we've been watching next week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless I see something better than that, it's going to be Ice-tastrophe. <laughs> I doubt you will. Yeah. Better than I might that. just watch a lot of bad disaster films on the horror channel this week. <laughs> like these really stupid science ones. Uh, Owen, what are you going to watch? Uh, I'm also recommending a film that I haven't seen. But it's the third episode in a row that... Uh, I think it's the third episode in a row that the new Korean revenge thriller, The Villainess, has been mentioned. Uh, but I'm going to give it a plug as well now. Uh, by saying it's available to rent on Google Play, iTunes, uh, Amazon Video, and so on. It's about an assassin who's forced to confront a couple of blokes from her past who threaten to reveal some dark secrets of hers, apparently. Um, that's what I read in the plot synopsis. I've not watched it yet, but Sean on Twitter, at Daddy, he pointed out that it's uh, now available to rent. And as I think we had Brooker review, Brooker and Mike loved it, I think, from um, the Fright Fest pod. Paul talked about it last week. It's great. Uh, it's, I've seen it as well. It's it's and you've seen it's it. It's really awesome. good. Yeah, it's great. There we go. Yeah. So it's just finished. It's running UK cinemas pretty much. It's it's a little bit expensive to rent because usually they're about like three fifty, but it, this one's about six to seven quid. I think I've seen it. Um, but it's not too bad considering it was only in cinemas like last week. So yeah, the villainess okay. is on most uh, video on demand services. Okay, uh, Brian. I went through the new on iPlayer list and one thing jumped out. I mean, again, I haven't seen this one, but with a title like The Gap Your Pedophile, <laughs> I'm at least intrigued. It's literally about a 30-year-old who was arrested after 10 years of molesting kids in Malaysia. Oh. And, well, it, it, 
the title definitely beats Ice Tastrophe. <laughs> Sorry, I'm now imagining a thing where two warring families get together for a big dinner and then a paedophile crashes into the town. <laughs> with consequences. What and... kind of crystals does the pit know? <laughs> no, no. 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 Uh, let's not. We're going to go full brass eye in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, Tony, what are you going to tell people to watch? Shh. Silence. Yeah, um, the silence, um, which is not me telling you to shut up. It's uh, Martin Scorsese's um, film that's just come on Amazon Prime, if anyone's got that, um, which is a, a, an acquired taste. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. It's about like two Christian missionaries in like the 17th century. Um, oh, it's really good. Who go, it's very good. Yeah, they go to Japan to look for their mentor, played by um, Liam Neeson. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's long, it's long, but it's beautifully shot, um, and it's it, it is it is very good. It's got some great performances. Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver. Although I f- I always felt like they were playing the wrong parts. They should have swapped. That that's all the way through. I was thinking, why aren't they? Why aren't they playing the other parts? Um, but it, it's it's it's. Are good. you thinking we should have uh, a face off? Yeah. <laughs> face off meets silence. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or silence with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Now that would be amazing. Actually, I'd watch Nicolas that. Nicolas Cage would just fucking nail that role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it is it is very good. But it's it's you've got to you've got to be in the right mood and put it on at the right time because it's long. Um, but it's different from a lot of what Scorsese normally as normally normally does. And that's not saying what he normally does isn't good because obviously it is. But it, yeah, it's 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 one that not everyone has seen either. So. Give it a try. Well, it it's it is similar to some of his because it's very much about Catholicism, and you know that's what's prevalent through a lot of his other films. But in terms of like the, the location and the, t- I suppose the, he did Kundun, didn't he? Which is, I suppose, not exactly the same, but it where he was tapping that that's sort of same area. But I mean, like it's not like gangsters in New York and things like that. Do you know what I mean? No. It's not Wolf of Wall Street kind of stuff, which people might. Mm. Goodfellas, you know, people might automatically go there with Scorsese, but yeah, it's very different from that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes, that is all for this week's uh, Fail Critics podcast. Thank you all for listening. The Failed Critics podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with contributions from different guests every week, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com from the track The Bandit, remixed by James Yule, who you can find at jamesyule.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Failed Critics, on iTunes and all good podcast apps, or you can check us out at failedcritics.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. And why not check out our sister podcasts, Character Unlock and Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights from the failed media network of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.